Yes, it's a new year and a new season for the monthly Living Mirror Playback Theater shows in the WMNF Live Music Studio. This month, we're exploring the subject of homelessness and hunger. And on Friday, January 26th at 7 p.m., Living Mirror will feature improv enactments of stories from that community and activists working to improve lives. It'll be a compelling evening of community sharing and theater, and these shows are free. So please reserve your seat online at wmnf.org slash events. You are tuned to WMNF Radio 88.5 FM. This is the public affairs program called Community Speaks, and I'm your host, Patro Mabili. Today is MLK Junior Day. The racists are trying to trash his name, but people of good conscience are commemorating the tireless efforts of the Nobel Prize winner, preacher, teacher, civil rights leader, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., And I want to give a shout out to the people at Food Not Bombs for reminding us of King's fight for food justice. This month is also the month we here at WMNF highlight the plight of homelessness and hunger in the U.S. As Dr. King was on the verge of leading a poor people's march on Washington before he was assassinated in 1968. Today, as we remember the life of Dr. King, we take a look at the fight ahead. The battle to strengthen voters' rights and civil rights in general. The recognition of the human rights of those under threat from right-wing culture wars, which are about to ramp up here in Florida. And as the primary elections get underway, we look at rising inequality as the World Economic Forum gets underway. And the world seems headed for its first trillionaire. According to the anti-poverty group Oxfam, we've been... Getting ramped up for the World Economic Forum. And, you know, as the world could see its first trillionaire within a decade, according to Oxfam, this is the anti-poverty organization. Oxfam International said today in its annual assessment of global inequalities, time to coincide with the World Economic Forum, the annual gathering of political and business elites at the Swiss ski resort. At Davos, so we want to talk about all of those things and talk about how the fight continues, the fight for equality and civil rights and voting rights. As you know, the right wing has been ramping up their attacks on the last, the history of the last, the progress of the last sixty years inside this country. And I want to hear from you today, our man. Uh, DJ Spaceship is stands ready to take your telephone call, uh, calls today here on Community Speaks. And I want to hear from you about MLK Day and the progress that has been made and the progress that's under threat. The uh, fight for equality in this country and on this globe. I want to hear from you at 813-239-9663. And you can write me also at DJ at WMNF.org because 
there are a lot of things that we have to put into perspective here on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, especially when we know we share a country with those who want to turn back the clock and have promised. If you've heard of the group called the Turning Point, this is a conservative group that's trying to win hearts and minds among the youth, among young people, have been promising to spend today trashing Martin Luther King Jr.'s name. And there's one right-wing politician who's been, uh, whose name will not even be mentioned, but he's been trying to say that Martin Luther King was an inferior pastor because he was a communist. So we're going to hear all that kind of talk today, but there are people who are commemorating this man, uh, those who believe that uh, MLK was the drum major for justice. There's going to be a parade, of course, today here in Tampa as well as throughout this country. But here in Tampa, we're going to be participating as a radio station in the parade as we do each year on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And uh, there's going to be there's going to be a parade that starts here a couple of blocks away and go up Martin Luther King Drive. So we want to we want to be a part of that uh, effort today as we are every year uh, because, you know, there's an opportunity for the community to get together and commemorate this historical figure. And as we've been celebrating all weekend, talking about Dr. Martin Luther King's granddaughter, who is now giving uh, rousing speeches to members of her generation, she's uh, calling on them to take up the mantle of the past and take up the mantle of civil rights. You know, 2024 is going to be the year we commemorate the passage of the Civil Rights uh, Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And uh, we know that there are people who are busy trying to reverse that progress and uh, forget the fight that was underway when Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. And uh, as I said, People at Food Not Bombs have sent me a message that I'd like to share with you because they re- recall the efforts of Dr. Martin Luther King and his fight against inequality. And as they reflect on it, I'm going to read part of their message to you. And uh, he said, while often remembered for his civil rights movement, leadership Dr. King was also a staunch advocate for economic justice. And he strongly condemned poverty and wealth inequality, which he viewed as inextricably tied to racial injustice. Dr. King understood that the ability to access and afford healthy food was a basic human right central to securing other freedoms. And in his 1966 visit to the state of Mississippi to support black voter registration, he addressed the harsh realities of hunger and malnutrition faced by all communities denied economic opportunities. There are 40 million poor people in the state of Mississippi, as he said at that time, not just blacks, but poor whites and Puerto Ricans. He told the assembled crowd, and somebody must be concerned about them. And Dr. King highlighted and worked to address many of the injustices that continue today to be the root causes of hunger and poverty and we're going to, uh, Dr. King believed in wage equity 
and worker rights, including the importance of a living wage, not just merely increases in the minimum wage. Dr. King also recognized the systemic forces that causes hunger and poverty and thus criticized the capitalist pursuit of profits over human needs. And Dr. King called for a revolution of values and urged us to transition from being thing-oriented to a person-oriented society. This sentiment deeply resonates with Food First's mission as they are sharing this letter with me and sharing it with you. They talk about the vision for Food First inspires to us to live in a world where everyone has agency over their food, their food choices in the food system. And uh, we know that the Congress passes the the farm bill and the Republicans seem to take an opportunity and take glee in reducing how much money is available for feeding people in this country. And uh, we're going to continue to talk about all of the ways in which we are continuing to have to fight as we fight inequality and injustice at the same time. And oftentimes it feels like we have to repeat the fights of the past. But I do want to hear from you as we continue to talk about all of the things that uh, is ha- happen, happening here on Dr. King Day. And I just want to invite you to give us a call here on King Day. Well, I don't know what will happen now. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. <laughs> Eight one three two three nine nine six six three, and I see some of you are calling, and uh, I'm gonna take go straight away to your telephone calls. And as I said, we're still talking about the struggle that continues, and we talk about the rich and powerful meeting at the World Economic Forum. And uh, as Oxfam reminds us that they'll probably see their first trillionaire in the next ten years, as we are continuing to try to fight. Poverty and inequality. So Oxfam is trying, has been trying for years to highlight the growing disparities between the super rich and the bulk of the global population. And now it says the gap has been, quote, supercharged since the coronavirus pandemic. The group said the fortunes of the five richest men, Tesla CEO Elon Musk, Bernard Arnault and his family of luxury company LVMH, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, Oracle founder Larry Ellison, and investment guru Warren Buffett have spiked by 114% in real terms since 2020 when the world was reeling from the pandemic. And so Oxfam's interim director says reports showed that the world is entering a decade of division. They say we have the top five billionaires. They have doubled their wealth. On the other hand, almost five billion people have become poor. Since uh, very soon, Oxfam predicts that we will have a trillionaire within a decade, referring to a person who has a thousand billion dollars, whereas to fight poverty, we need more than 200 years. So the battle continues, fight continues, and we are going to commemorate the one voice that has galvanized us, even in death, 
around these issues of inequality. We're going to go to the telephone lines to see what you have to say here on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day as we talk about the world as it is. 813-239-9663 is the number to call. This is Community Speaks. Go ahead. Caller, you're on the air. Yes. How you doing, uh, Mr. Mobili? Pretty good. You? Yeah, this is uh, Norm. I'm from the Mobili uh, family. <laughs> How you doing, Dr. Norm? I'm here, man. I'm always here. Yeah. And what I find interesting about your this this topic, and particularly this celebration on this day, is that, you know, I grew up uh, up in Detroit, you know, and um, I remember the King March in, in Detroit, the I had a dream speech and stuff. Yeah. And when I fast forward, and I remember being in high school when uh, Dr. King was assassinated, I remember the assassinations of Malcolm X and mm. uh, 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 John Kennedy and Robert Kennedy. Yes. Right, like a couple of months, I remember it vividly. All happening around one, the same in one, all in one decade. Right. And I mean, there's yeah, one in decade and all that happened you know, while we were in, I was in from uh, elementary school all the way to uh, junior high school or high school. Yeah. When uh, I, when uh, both Robert Kennedy was, I mean, uh, uh, Dr. King was assassinated in April and in June, the question here I have here, okay, is mm-hmm. how much of if, if you what you said today, how much of that has changed since these times in terms of us trying to remedy these economic disparities, okay? And let's fast forward ten years from now, would be be living the dream or stuck in? I wouldn't say stuck in the dream, but stuck in the in the in the nightmare. That we find ourselves in 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 today, because the same speech could have been given back, let's say, in 1992, as mm-hmm. it is in 2022 or 2024. And of course, people are going to ask us, how much progress have we made, or is it intended to to uh, make progress? And the other thing. That I've been doing some, you know, I'm just doing some research, and that part of the research we do in the right blog, the right, you're within the norms. And we were talking about uh, a, a period of time where we were talking about uh, the, Nazi Germany and uh, the Nazi socialism and those sort of things. And one of the more frightening things in putting this article together was that we were looking at the Gestapo and the people in the Gestapo. And we, the most frightening thing was that when Himmler designed, or him, yeah, Himmler and these people designed the Gestapo, that they were men of letter. And that the same characteristics and the same mental thinking of the folks in the and Gestapo are identical, identical in the same composition to that of folks who were employed by the Justice Department or folks who were are, are, are sitting in Congress today. And, it, and it's frightening because you say, you know, when these people in the Gestapo were men, quote, of letters. These weren't. They, 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 and him running hired PhDs and MDs and folks with law, hot, Roland Friesler had a law degree. Uh, 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 Brandt, uh, Carl Brandt was an MD. These are 
Nazis. Uh, Himmler was uh, had a PhD, you know, and people who orchestrated the quote final solution were folks who were of that same mind. And you can go back further than that into not what the third right did, but what the second right did in Africa. The same type of extermination that you see it, that took place in uh, the Herrera people. And the reason I bring that up is this just recently came up with this thing about this, this the Germany was in support of Israel and and Namibia came and said, hey, you know, Germany, look what you did in her in, back in 1904 when the Herrera and stuff. This just came up, man. And when you look at the composition of the folks that orchestrated this kind of stuff, their composition in terms of their thinking and their degrees and their, I mean, and their, uh, the substance are identical. And it's frightening. Yeah. It's frightening. It is, it is frightening to know that these are the same men of what? And so the question, uh, as, a, as a get back to that, how much are we, how much has changed? You know, how much are we living they're trying to live. We're trying to live the dream at, at the same time, being a part of a. a, a, a I mean, a going. You know, maybe we're living a nightmare here. Well, you know, things have not moved very. Have moved the metal. The things have not very moved very little. Not since. Um. Not we're talking about the sixties. We can go further back into the eighteen sixties and the same type of eugenics, for example. That's all right. But you know, tell me with this one here, uh, uh, Billy. Okay, remember the Billy <laughs> Fan Club here, man. Yeah, it scares the heck out of me. And if you read that, read an article we wrote called Doug Dreyer. You know, mm-hmm. and we compared him to the, 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 the what the Justice Department is doing in terms of what we call the war on drugs is a war on people and the war on healthcare. It's I, I mean that it's I. The people who make up these laws. These people who make up these laws are people who are clinging to the past, as you said. But what I think they have the same credentials. But I think was what we have to remember is that the progress still happens, doesn't it? They still lose, but there's always, as you say, a new generation that they give rise to that tries to reverse the progress. But they always fail. It, it might they might cause a lot of consternation. They might cause us to uh, have civil wars with one another, culture yeah, wars sure. with one another. But they still lose. Progress still happens. What we have to do is protect the progress. What we have to do is continue to push for even greater progress, and that is recognizing everybody's civil and human rights in the process. And I think these young people are going to continue to reject these uh, behaviors from the past uh, and progress will continue well, to happen. I, you know, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm hoping so. But the, this is what happened. You know what happened? This is between you and I, this discussion mm-hmm. that we're talking about, it's also points out something that's very significant. This is what happens when the both of us suffer from wokeness. Okay, I'll call it suffering from wokeness. <laughs> because remember that, okay? Hey, have we not learned our history, okay? And had an understanding of of uh, of uh, of the third right or the second right 
is the relationship to Africa are not understood our African or any any type of history, any of our history, particularly that pertaining to Africa, we wouldn't have this discussion. And this very discussion, this very wealth of knowledge that you possess, I possess, Walter Smith possess, okay, is now criminalized. And there's, I mean, it's now criminalized. You, this is exactly, and the ability to, to arrive that we call, uh, uh, um, uh, what, did, what did Jimmy uh, Carr, he called it the ability to, to do an objective analysis, mm-hmm. okay? And, and and he was speaking in terms of America didn't want it to know uh, or didn't want to know, and and he was saying, and this was a tape I saw, and, uh, and Israel did not want to know what was happening to the Palestinians. Well, we were, you can apply this to America doesn't want to know and people don't want to know what's happening to the war on drugs. Or America and people don't want to know what's happening with the, with, with, with this disparity in, uh, in education. Those are, you can apply it either way. The point is the fact that we know and the fact that we can have a relation, uh, relate this to a, uh, a, a, um, a, a historical event and understand the complexity of history and able to do an objective analysis and of, of what's happening and and to point out the uh, the the stigmatization the the, uh, the racialization or the prohibition or the weaponization in any form. Mm-hmm, I'm just talking mm-hmm. about talking about this in any form that form. This ability for you and I to communicate like this is now considered a danger. Yeah, but that's why I, I stay here. Our our history is learning that you know when he say that well you know this black history the I mean you look at Florida history okay we go ask for Florida history is black history how do you explain a guy like Saint Augustine Saint mm-hmm. Augustine being named or Saint Saint Augustine a uh, a uh, uh, guy who's a who's an African saint and a city being called Africa, it shows you, well, who came to, when these Spanish people came, well, who were they? Were they people who were descendants of Moors, who were were in Spain or what? They had to have some sort of background, some sort of knowledge of of African history. And that kind of stuff is being prevented. Or the Southern Underground Railroad that existed in here. Or that the fact that people in this, the black folk, who were here, who were part of, uh, who joined in with the, who were, came or brought here, became part of the Seminole Nation and and and, and Chief Osceola all formed a coalition to fight the Americans who wanted to come, who were angry, and the British who were angry, Fort Oglethorpe were angry about uh, the their property being lost down here in Florida. I mean, that kind of stuff is now dangerous to talk about. Weaponized to talk about and stuff. This uh, this conversation uh, by possessing this knowledge is what's a threat. That's called anti wokeness. Yeah. Why you and I are, are have been taught to be woke. You know what I'm saying? I'm not only to frighten you so bad. I no, but I, like again, I see, I see Ron DeSantis up there ready to tear down the doors and stuff like that. I'm not only to frighten you so bad because you know, you know 
But the point is, is that this type of knowledge is dangerous. And then we start comparing this to, I mean, the mere fact that you talked about Dr. King is now a crime in this state. This, you know, and, 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 and so it's, it's a crime to know about guy, the relationship to uh, uh, what's happened here. Or, or better yet, the fact that you had people that have rebelled that were that we supported and re- who were rebelled and were anti-Constitution, okay? And we call these people the Confederates. The fact that you say, hey, these monuments are anti-Americanism, that too is a threat now. You're right. And Florida is becoming an epicenter. Like I, I mentioned earlier, the culture wars is going to ramp up in Florida because yeah. that's all these guys got to talk about. They can't talk about the progress because they never participate in it. They try to reverse the progress. So they're going to talk about criminalizing people who try to remove Confederate monuments in Florida. And this is coming from, I believe, a, a black Republican, a black conservative, Webster Barnaby or somebody like that, the same guy who called... Oh, oh, oh. He's called a proprietor. Remember, that's called proprietorship, you see? What you do, it's propriety. I mean, mm-hmm. for example, if you took, uh, uh, said that uh, the, the, the Justice Department was anti-Semitic, okay, let's put it this way. And you're out your mind. It's ran by a Jewish guy named Merrick Garland. It gives it propriety. Or that it's ran by uh, a black woman, you know, uh, uh, Loretta Lynch, you know? It mm-hmm. gives an excuse. Well, the same thing. Think of, think of Jesus' time, okay? Think about Jesus' time. Well, you know, the, the Romans didn't like uh, uh, the, Jesus. So what did they do? They put him before the Sanhedrin, okay? These are Jewish guys, okay? They say, Jesus, you're, we condemn you. You're, we condemn you to death. And the Romans are good. We can carry it out. Boom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, same different. <laughs> the said Hedron gave it proprietorship. And the same thing, this, this uh, 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 um, guy who is, uh, it, it is a black Republican does. Yeah. Does in the same way. And said, we would call it, some people would call Uncle Tom, but the new word for that's, we we, we, we we call him a, a filter Negro, you know? <laughs> so you can always get somebody to justify it by giving this guy, uh, this guy gives his propriety. He establishes the legitimacy of the claim that he is, uh, that, 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 uh, that, that these Confederate guys are, are, are our heroes and stuff. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to tell you something, Bill, I think you don't realize this. A lot of black folk fought in the Confederate Army. They don't talk about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, sir, there are books on the man. In fact, I always remember that I was at a, a, a this thing was in Georgia, was in Carroll, Georgia. That, and I'm trying to get off the subject. Where we went to this uh, this uh, Daughter of Confederacy Black History Day thing, and this was in Carroll, Georgia, right outside of Tallahassee. And this lady who I knew showed up. And she said her father, her grandfather, fought in the Confederate Army. She's a black woman, you know. And mm-hmm. in fact, her husband was a Catholic, okay? And so, and, and she showed the pictures and everything. But that kind of stuff. Fighting for an institution that they thought that right, they could right, participate right, in. And there were those who thought they could participate in that institution. Right. And they don't talk about that. Just, and we, they, we don't talk about it. But. If we go down through history, we'll know, like, for example, you ever heard of uh, 
of a, uh, uh, we, uh, when you talk about Rhodesia, for example, the Salia Scouts, okay? Well, the Salia Scouts was a unit, that were, uh, 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 unit that fought for Ian Smith and support uh, Rhodesia and stuff. Well, many of them were black. Yeah, but a lot of these people. I know that these people who participated oftentimes don't feel like that they're doing so under free thought. Uh, this is probably under some type of duress, especially if you're enslaved under a system of Confederate system of slavery. You fighting for a system to preserve such a system, you're probably doing so under duress, out of fear, uh, out of fear of loss of life. Uh, but definitely, it is uh, it is an issue that is very. Hard to understand, and, and people often don't talk about it. But I do like to know more about what happened to you, Doc, because you know that was a there's a, a school of thought that says that what how criminalization was a continuation of enslavement uh, in order to keep those prisons full, and the war on drugs was just such a an agenda to do just that in a modern time. This was you know talking about Nixon's 1970s. So this continuation, what happened to you? Okay. It's very interesting you brought that up, Ben, because what happens is the same thing. And we wrote this statement that that in, in this in this concept of the war on drugs, okay, that America doesn't want to know, and the media doesn't want to know the purposes of these narcotic analgesics medications, okay? They, they, mm -hmm. What we've done is, they, and there are powerful forces. I was talking about this. Uh, a friend of mine, he's, in fact, he was an anesthesiologist. His name is uh, Arnold. Okay, he was he got caught up in the in this he's a physician. Okay, and there are powerful forces that prevent the the ob, objective analysis of the of the necessity for these type of medications, and we do this, and we we do this by, for example, the stigmatization of dependency and addiction. Okay, we stigmatize or oh, folks is, is an addict or oh, folks is 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 dependent. It's two different things. Addiction is a disease and a mm -hmm. disease state. And when you stigmatize that, that allows you then to dehumanize people. Mm -hmm. It allows you the concept of the war on drugs, okay? That whole thing which especially what you have now uh, in terms of the law on what we call the quote opioid crisis, which we just published an article on that that demonstrated that the data analytics of that most of this stuff is the whole, that it is the hoax, and that the, the data analytics doesn't matter. Read this, the work of the, the British, British, the comparative analysis we did with the British postal scandal in which data analytics was used to target uh, postal workers for stealing. This is the same thing is happening here with the quote opioid crisis and you began to see that a lot of this stuff was just simply manufactured and that the companies like for example billions of dollars were stolen this whole call these settlements and stuff mm -hmm. were based upon faulty data that was but that was that, that was given this is well published stuff look at the videos look at the tapes that we we've we've done and they've used this thing to go after positions and in, 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 uh, 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 providers in terms of the treatment of pain, and we've then turned around and we've criminalized medical procedures and pain protocols. And we said, we, this is law enforcement, and law enforcement has no business in the practice of medicine. None. Mm -hmm. None. 
But so we believe that we had a uh, 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 that. Uh, um, and one of the things that was interesting was they said, well, OxyContin, for example, was the big problem and people were uh, uh, using it. In fact, at the time period, very little OxyContin was even made. So the problem that there was a, a control medication problem, it would have been codeine. Look at the work of Jacob Rich. Uh, look at the work of, of, uh, of uh, Josh Bloom. Look at the work of a guy named Nabrandas Gupta. Look at the work of uh, uh, Jeffrey Singer from the Cato Institute. And so look at the work of your within the norm. Because mm-hmm. you know, people aren't going to believe me and and guys like Dr. Anand and Dr. Leslie Pompey because, you know, we're people of color, so we are not authenticated to, to, to do this type of, of, of research. But look at the research that we have to look at, and you'll see that the the work that we've done, and you are within the norm, or we write about it, you're within the norm, it is a work in collaboration with a whole group of people that then presented from a scientific point of view, and that essentially what we've done is we've been had and misled in bamboozle. And so take me back just that, a second. Well, well, Take take me back. You're saying that this these these manufactured opioids were not. Uh, no, the problem wasn't the prescription medication. Okay, it never was. It was that what what it is when you have prohibitions. You have when you develop prohibition, prohibition, and then weaponization, resulting in disparities in treatment. You have this stuff. You got to go back disparities to, in like treatment. Yeah, fourteen. To the, to the, let's say, of the Harrison Act, okay? Mm-hmm. Why was the Harrison Act even put in place? You know why? You know why they developed the Harrison Act? Why you got control medications now? Mm-hmm. Because there was a, a medication now called, what would you call, diamorphine, okay? All right? And uh, opium that was the Chinese were using and stuff. And, all, and, and this stuff was all, all, all legal. Well, you, you mentioned the Harrison Act. The Harrison Act was a narcotics tax act. Yeah, and that was an act to, to, to and it was pushed by eugenicists, eugenic guys. You know, at this time, Stoddard, you look at the makeup of the Supreme Court. It was pushed by these guys to, to, to actually to wipe out the black population. We're talking 1914, yeah. Mm-hmm. Around 1914. Look who pushed it. Look at the research that that that, that is done. You look at guys like Theodore Rose. I mean, uh, yeah, Theodore Rose. He's a eugenicist. Uh, that whole makeup of the uh, of the um, Supreme Court, 1918, 1896, They were all eugenicists. Eugenicists. That's what passed for science in those days. And those sort of yes, sir. Yeah, that's what passed for science until the science of genetics. Uh, took over, exactly. but yeah, yeah. So we got this people thinking that they were in 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 uh, uh, you know the these inferior race. Now who picks up on? Think about it. who picks up on the eugenic thinking of Stoddard at this time. You know, we, we, some people don't want to call it social dark. Who picks up on it? Germany. Germany. What did the Germans mm-hmm. do? They they have a they have a there's a guy in Germany. His name is Ratzel. Uh, Friedrich Rassel, okay? Rassel comes along, and he's a professor, and he believes in a thing called, and I may pronounce it right, Lazarus, okay? 
which means that which then serves my living space, an expansion of living space. In other words, a, a, a society that grows needs more living space. Okay, and the way you accomplish that is you you, you when at the same time you have this uh, Berlin Conference where they start dividing of Africa, and so Germany put five thousand settlers into Namibia. Okay. And they said, well, we got to get more living space here. And first they, 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 they subjugate the people, okay? And then they adopt this, and, 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 and then they adopt this, well, let's get a step a little back here. What do you mean, where does, where does Rascal get living space? Well, he gets it from the way that the settlers were using the United States to wipe out the Native American population. Expansions, that's why it applies to Germany. And the first place it applied is in Africa. And so what happens is, is that in 1904, the Herrera and Nam said, we're going to throw these, these, these people out of our country. And what did they do? They start, this guy named Bentrope, I believe, begins a, a, a process of genocide. This is where we start seeing the concentration loggers, okay? Constant, they, they, the, the adoption of, you, of eugenics takes place here and uh, you see that uh, uh, the contract. This is where they begin to wipe out. This is a, this is the second right, the execution of the of the of the final solution. And what's so shocking about this thing is that you hear of Goring, the Goring family, Goring in the in Germany with a thirty four years later and talk about the the final solution. Well, the Goring family, Goring were people who were orchestrated this genocide of the Nama and the Harar people in Africa. The first Holocaust takes with the second right. And these concepts, these things that were learned and how we concentrate people were applied by the third right. And so pull this stuff up, brother. Go in and pull up stuff up. The, the Ham, the Harar, and the Nam folks. And you will see what we're talking about. And what happens is, is that these were put on the, the, the non people were put in these concentration camps in cold conditions on a place called, well, one of the places was called Shark Island. Okay, we talked about it. And the body, the, the skeletons still remain there today. And one of the ways that I found out, I was taking a class that was called forensic, it was a forensic dentistry class, and they got, and so, but what happens is, is that when you, one of the things that the Germans did and were very good was to cut the heads off of these folks and they would send these bodies to Germany and examine them and do dissections. And so that's why Gray's Anatomy is such a damn good book. I mean, dog, a good book, you know, because these bodies, I mean, either up until like, I think 19, I mean, uh, 2015 or 2011, that they started bringing these people's bodies back. But this stuff was done, this sort of thing. And so now comes 2000, uh, I mean, uh, 1933, 34, you've got Hitler comes in, you've got the Nuremberg Conference, the Nuremberg laws that are in place, and it meets in 1934, and these Nuremberg people come in, and uh, uh, they're Americans at the table developing these Nuremberg laws, and they're based upon. What and the Nuremberg laws are all based upon what happened here in, in America, Jim Crow and stuff. 
You want to see this man, go to South Africa, go to the apartheid museum, and you'll see this stuff of how apartheid, all this stuff was all connected. And it all starts here in this country, eugenics, and it all mixing together and stuff. And these sort of, uh, of differences, and how this plays into the opioid crisis, let me jump a little fast forward, is, is that the very same people that believe that they, that they developed these so-called laws about uh, narcotic analgesics being for opioid, a group called PROP, all right? One of the guys from Brandeis University, guy's name is Andrew Kalodny, says that, well, black people don't experience pain. <laughs> and the, they pull the stuff up. Yeah. It was an article we, he wrote in New York Times. Yeah. Uh, he said black folks don't experience pain. Therefore, racism, and that's what he says, racism protected black people during the opioid quote, pandemic, so-called opioid pandemic. Andrew Kalani. Pull this up, man, because Andrew Kalani took the same thinking. Him and his group went to the FDA and took the same thinking. And also they had a financial interest in a product called Suboxone, butanorphin, okay? And so they wanted to compete with uh, Purdue Pharma, which had OxyContin, mm-hmm. right? And Purdue Pharma said, heck no, you're not going to do that. And so what they did was they said, you're going to make that a class two, this, this Suboxone. But what did they do? They got around the FDA and went to the CDC. And the CDC was chaired by a guy named Thomas Friedman. And Thomas Friedman and Andrew Kuladin were lovers. Seriously. I'm, I'm not making this stuff up, brother. I'm not making They were lovers. So they adopted this CDC guidelines, okay? He and his group came in, and they dropped this, this great CDC guidelines. And the strange thing about these CDC guidelines were never, were all unscientific. And they're unapproved, and those guidelines were adopted by the Drug Enforcement Agency, which then began to enforce these these un, these so-called morphine milligram equivalents, which is another thing. Nobody ever heard of this stuff, okay? And now they started going in, arresting and attacking uh, uh, pharmacists, dentists, uh, physicians, physi- and these guidelines. Here's the other thing: only apply to non-specialists. However, the DEA turns around and started applying to the specialist and also excluded from these guidelines of this 90 morphine milligram equivalent for cancer patients and sickle cell patients. Mm-hmm. Of course, that didn't mean anything to the DEA. So what they did is anybody who treated any kind of patient is, 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 is attacked. So, I mean, we know the history of, of right. criminalization, and yeah, definitely, we do need to know all of the names that are engaged, have engaged and involved, gotten involved. But you're you're uh, you're convinced that part is part of the criminalization. You know, politically, they they don't support what a lot of young people support today is decriminalization, of course. But, you know, in the process, you're saying people have been caught up in a, in a sort of, a, in a, sort of a, a, a trap. Exactly. Uh, harm reduction is what we call it. Another harm reduction. Like to, to, uh, go to, like, Portugal and, or excuse me, even Canada, you know, they treat, and, and even Britain at one time, they treat the disease 
and the, the addiction as a disease. The fallacy about addiction that we that we've been told is that you can go in for a thirty day treatment and a forty day, and you'll you'll be you'll never cure yourself of addiction. Sometimes. When people take any these medications, it doesn't have to be medications. It could be German chocolate cake, for example. Or I'm just, so it's the same uh, 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 system. What we call I'm it the mesiolimbic system and stuff that drives that pleasure in the brain. So, but anyways, it may it may be a lifetime of treatment. Mm-hmm. So the person fought. Well, you hear people when they said, "Well, they went in for the addiction treatment and they." Fell off the way, they fell back, or you know, or, or had a relapse and stuff. What? Common. That's it. And so, what these countries have learned is that if you treat the treat the patient, let's say the patient's on heroin, right? Yeah. Give them heroin, hmm. right? And you'll find those patients. You won't have the. You won't have people coming in and uh, knocking your heads off and and tearing up the place. And at some point, they will go back to work and be functional very easily. And they may be on it for the rest of their life. That's the, that's the other thing. We've got to remove the stigmatization mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. addiction, just like Rosalind Carter removed the stigmatization of mental illness, just like uh, Betty Ford, president's wife. Gerald Ford's wife moved, removed the stigmatization of breast cancer. Brother, when I was a kid, man, you mentioned somebody with breast cancer, you may get your head slapped in. Yeah. Or better yet, when I was a little kid, if you mentioned the word pregnancy or pregnant, you'd get your head slapped in. The, in, in you get your head slapped in. Yeah. Okay? We have to remove the stigmatization. It, you know, that, you know. Of course, that's right. political because the right wing does yeah. doesn't want to go there. It wants to continue that's to process. It wants to continue to to criminalize. But what we're seeing is that there's, like in California, uh, Governor Newsom is yeah. allowing for uh, site drug yeah. uh, places where you could have a, a doctor or a nurse practitioner right. there right. while people get high. Right. Under the tent, so they don't get criminalized and they don't die getting high alone at home or on the back in a back alley somewhere. Let me, let me tell you, he's and there's a difference between people say they're getting high when they're on pain medication, getting relief from pain medication. I'm talking about and and addiction and dependency. It's a total different thing. Totally two different concepts and stuff. When you're getting pain relief, you're not getting high. You're getting relief. Right, the way you die from narcotic analgesic medication, what we call, and they ain't got this word opioid. What the heck? Is, I mean, like, <laughs> but anyways, uh, what you what you will the way you die from these these medic the medication the medicinal type of medications is taking it beyond its therapeutic dose. That's what we're talking about overdose. When we talk about, like, for example, heroin, people say, we died of a heroin overdose. This is a street heroin, okay? Uh, we died of a, a cocaine overdose. How do you overdose on on heroin and cocaine when you ask yourself, well, what's the dose of it? These are poison. It'd be like somebody coming in and say, hey, you know, he died of an overdose on gasoline. Come on. You know, it, 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 we've, what we've done is we've totally distorted the 
whole science behind it, and uh, and the media at uh, both believe uh, and, pe- and people are being wrongly giving false data and false information, and that's how this thing gets gets going. It's gonna be it's it's hard to correct. Guys like me who come along and say, hey, you know, you read your within the norms and look at the the guys that we've come. It, 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 it defeats that purpose. And let's go back to this word one point. This word opioid. I mean, that is a total distortion of, of this. Of, 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 of the, when you always ask the question, well, what opioid? When you ask the question, you're about opioid, opioid. What opioid are you talking about? They'll say, oh, opioid, all of them. Well, that's not true. I mean, what, what? Are you talking about hydromorphone, hydrocodone, uh, oxymorphone? Which one? Methadone? You know, which, which one are we talking about? Are you talking about morphine sulfate, which is an opiate, or codeine? That's an opiate, all right? Or better or better yet, you look at, uh, most people are, you know, what are they talking They never will t- can tell you. Because they conflate that which is poison, that street peril, okay? That, that, uh, yeah, Doc, I got to go. We only got a few more minutes left, but I think we get your point that you're saying that the opioid crisis is over uh, dramatized, uh, maybe over prosecuted. Doctors have gotten caught up in a a sort of trap. Some doctors have gotten caught up in a a trap that they shouldn't have gotten caught up in. But there's a lot that needs to be said about the drug epidemic in this country and how people continue to try to uh, lace drugs with things. Uh, maybe people seek out certain drugs, but that's going to be a conversation in terms of criminalization on either side, whether it's doctors, whether it's drug dealers, or whether it's addicts. We're going to continue to talk about how the criminalization of either groups continues in this country and we're going to continue to talk about it and put it into perspective of the world we're running out of time uh, if you have any more that you'd like to add here on this mlk day as we talk about the future not necessarily all about the past but there are people who have remembered and recalled the, the uh martin luther king as the leader for times for those times and they were they remember him fondly. Those who believe that uh, if there's a uh, second impediment uh, to Joe Biden's second term, though, there's one guy who's been talking about, though his friend Martin Luther King Jr. warned him that he, he wouldn't make it to 50. He recently celebrated his 93rd birthday, and though the body has slowed down a bit, he's never been thinking more clearly in his life. Uh, we need to get away from the ageism that we're seeing happen a lot in this country. But this uh, 93-year-old says he recalls Dr. King finally looking back at this past year despite the headlines referencing mass shootings, states' preoccupation with controlling women's right to determine the use of their own bodies, presidential primaries that are coming up, conflict in Israel, the former president and his legal challenges and the re-election and the resignation of Harvard's black female president over alleged plagiarism and insufficient protection of Jewish students at universities. The glass seems half full, remains half full. It's still believed that the possibility of being a better day 
better than there being a tomorrow better than today. And accordingly, he was shocked that former South Carolina Governor Haley, a Republican for president, had to hesitate in responding to a question as to the cause of the American Civil War. It's hard to get excited about the future when some staunchly refuse to learn the lessons of the past. And this is why we have these kinds of commemorations. This is why we need these kinds of holidays so that we can talk about where we've come from, where we can talk about what we've been through. You know, for the first time in its 405-year history, this uh, Virginia, for one, had to face the recalled Charlottesville uh, and what happened there. And that was in more recent years as we are seeing people try to recall the past with fondness and relive the past. So it's interesting to hear from someone who has been around for so long that has these types of memories to look at the world today and see how far we've fallen behind and how much work we need to put in. And as we talk about inequality and as we move forward and think about this drum major for justice today, let's remember that there was a fight against poverty and against homelessness and hunger that Dr. Martin Luther King was embarking upon before he passed. And we want to pick up on that fight today because this is what unites the world. This is one of those things that unites the world. And we need to push back on these these cruel attempts as we saw in Brownsville, Texas, where the Homeland Security Department said that they couldn't save two migrants from drowning, a female and a child from drowning because the governor of state of Florida wouldn't allow his uh, wouldn't allow federal agents to come in and save them and let his state guards watch them die. And we're seeing people trying to redo that in red states all over this country. You see Florida trying to compete with Texas in terms of how cruel they can be. So we're going to have to start pushing back on that. That should be our call for this year. Push back on the cruelty, the, the culture wars, and the inequality that is going on, especially as the world gets richer, rich gets richer. So we have a lot that we can continue to talk about. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to hear from a whole lot of you today. It is Martin Luther King Day, but we got to get back to the music next hour with Blaney Whalen and It's Music Monday. But first, more headlines from National Public Radio News. This has been Patrick Mobili and Community Speaks. Keep it tuned to WMNF Tampa. Because I've been to the mountain top. <laughs> 